Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 36. The Josh beat the crap out of Phil in fantasy edition of uh, the GSP. Uh, hopefully that's not the case in a few weeks' time when it does count for money. Um, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Josh Fine. What's good, man? Yeah, I'm doing great, Phil. Yeah, it was uh, great to beat you in fantasy this week. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, you sound like that. Um before we get into that, we'll definitely get into the fantasy football, again, the real football, while uh, Josh's actual team is pretty terrible. His fantasy team is really good. My fantasy team is, you know, middle, pretty good, decent, but kind of eh, kind of like my actual team. And uh, our guest tonight is somebody that's been on the GSP before. His team leads the NFC East, for whatever that's worth. Um, Giants, uh, uh, longtime Giants fan and NASCAR aficionado, host of Talking in Circles, writer for FrontStretch.com, Clayton Caldwell. Uh, welcome back to the GSP, man. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Uh, yeah, we're going to do today because we're talking, you know, after yesterday um, on Talking in Circles, great episode uh, with uh NASCAR driver David Reagan uh, involved in Ford Performance's testing of the new car and other things in the simulator. A lot of interesting things he brought up during that episode, so definitely listen to that, uh, Clayton, Spencer, and myself. But it also brought up a bunch of other things, and I know that hopefully, uh, Clayton, you'll be able to come on. We'll be able to do this more during the offseason as well, doing some old-school uh, throwback stuff and some other ideas, but the NASCAR roundtable idea kind of came to my mind, and I was thinking we could go over a whole bunch of things because there's a whole lot of silly season stuff going on. And AJ Allmendinger got announced as a full-time driver for College Racing. You know, we got the resurgence in a sense, or maybe not. We don't know of uh, Chevy in the Cup Series. Uh, you know, Toyotas what they're kind of trying to do Ford, where they're at, et cetera, et cetera. We got a whole bunch of moving pieces and, and parts going on. And so I figured we could go and talk about that with all the series and the schedules that are out there. And I know the schedule is definitely a lightning rod point for you, Clayton. So um, as uh, Josh went off and lost it on uh, his Jacksonville Jaguars last week, um, you're free to, um, go off on whatever you want to. It's a little more um, middle, little more free form here. So um, the first thing I'll get into though is William Clyde Elliott because we do want listeners, um, mm-hmm. and we we are we're looking for just definitely looking for that fan base. You know the William Clyde Elliott um, fan base. Um, and uh, he won the championship a couple weeks ago, won the last two races of the Cup Series season. And I guess the first question is, and I'll and I'll throw this to, it will alternate, whatever. We'll kind of see how it goes. And I'll I'll throw this to Josh. Um, does Clyde going out there and winning those last two races? I mean, I think we talked about a few weeks ago after Phoenix, but. Is this a resurgence for Chevy? Is Clyde now the guy? 
and everything we're hitching i mean the merchandise sales and most popular driver until eternity is going to be chase elliott but is this a turnaround is what hendrick motorsports is doing with some of their driver uh, uh with their driver lineup now with you know getting kyle larson to drive the five car having alex bowman taking over the 48 and you know byron with uh, rudy fugel has hendrick motorsports returned to being an elite organization is chevy back as a factor week in week out now because of what uh william clyde elliott did uh, uh for a couple of weeks there at the end of that season in 2020 uh i'm gonna say not quite i think chevy will certainly be more of a contender than they have been in years past. They certainly had a lot of races uh, last season where they led laps and won races. But right now, the balance right now is just with Chevy and and Hendrick. The nine cars certainly had a lot of good performances uh, throughout the year. They are the team to beat now on the road courses. And as NASCAR goes to more of a road course schedule with uh, more road course races and all that, um, they're going to be the dominant car there. But they don't quite have the balance, I think, on the rest of the schedule to be a completely dominant force on the level of like a Denny Hamlin or Kevin Harvick type 2020 season that we witnessed uh, this past year. But I think maybe they'll tip the scales a little bit back into their favor. It'll be maybe a little bit more balanced between them and Ford and Toyota. But I think maybe you'll see the 48 with Alex Bowman. Maybe they'll continue to... Uh, improve with what they uh, have been the last couple of years because that's basically the 88 car being renumbered to the 48 and uh, inheriting the ally sponsorship and all of that. So I think you'll continue to see some chemistry build between Alex Bowman and his crew chief Greg Ives and all those guys on the 88 car and they'll continue to improve and and be a, a better or more consistent team, I guess. And they'll have the addition of Kyle Larson who should help elevate that team a little bit more than what it has been in the past. And he'll be taking over the 48 car now renumbered as the five. So I think you'll see his talent maybe start to show from what it was at uh, Chip Ganassi, but maybe on a more consistent basis. But I'm not sure if uh, Hendrick is going to be the um, team like, or really Chevy, like if they're going to continue to, um, you know, be the dominant team that we thought they would be like they had been in years past. Um, they'll they'll have their share of race wins, but I think you're still going to see them somewhat struggle because they've never really uh, picked it back from where they were like in 2013, 2012, 2014, where they were really dominating. And even then it was mostly just Hendrick. So I think the other teams like Chip Ganassi and with Kurt Busch and Ross Chastain and then, you know, Richard Childress with uh, Tyler Reddick and Austin Dillon. I think maybe you'll see them, all all those cars, be competitive. But again, there will be a lot of inconsistency still as uh, there has been over the last couple of years with Chevy, even though they've been trying to make an effort to turn things around. Yeah, all good points there, Josh. Um, Clayton, I'll throw to you. And, uh, you know, Josh brought up Kyle Larson returning. And I think that's a piece where um, when it comes to what Chase did there those last two weeks, people and everybody on that, that loves dirt racing have, have anointed him. And, uh, and I've 
I'm I say this knowing that I've watched Kyle Larson for many years racing dirt before he came NASCAR racing and um he is an absolute magician on dirt and he has proven to be one of the best ta- raw talents there's been in the last 10 20 years in this sport was do you feel like Kyle Larson with um with the I'm forgetting his name now um Crucci for um the 48 Cliff Daniels Cliff Daniels yeah uh thanks uh, so with Cliff Daniels does does that move? Do we see the the Kyle Larson everyone talks about? Everyone believes that he's supposed to be in terms of talent and coming back from his incident and uh, after winning forty plus you know features on dirt this year and in sprints and then also in midgets. Do we see is Kyle Larson that uh, somebody that 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 knowing he was there? Did that push Chase to become take that next step? And do you believe they're going to be able to push each other, and that will make Hendrick Motorsports come back to being what they were for as long as we've both for the vast majority of the time that both of us have been watching? And then furthermore, I guess as a follow to that, do you see somebody else within the Chevy program amongst all the teams they have, they have the majority of the cars that could take a step? that step up to the next level and be somebody that could contend week in week out to make a round or two, make two rounds in the playoffs uh, coming up in 2021. Well, I'll start with Larson first, obviously. I think certainly what this does for Hendrick Motorsports is in my opinion, just getting him here and getting him in the five car for next season is very Hendrick S. Um, they remember where they were in 2015. Uh, they had Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, um, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And a lot of people kind of sat there and said, and Casey Kane, and a lot of people kind of sat there and said, what's Hendrick going to do? Sure, they got Chase Elliott, but like they don't have a lot of young drivers right now. Like nobody's really in other than Chase is really in their realm and they've got four drivers who are veterans. And then all of a sudden here we sit now in 2020 and they have four young drivers who Bowman's won two races. Uh, Chase Elliott's a defend the defending series champion. Now we are all expecting William Byron to get to that next step and be a championship contender. And now you've got Kyle Larson to that mix. So all of a sudden Hendrick motorsports goes from a team that, you know, five, six years ago, a lot of people were scratching their head going, where are they going to go for the future? And now all of a sudden they're a team that looks really, really good for the future. Um, and I just think getting Larson into their fold is very Hendrickish. Um, there was other options. We've, we've uh, Tony Stewart even said it on Instagram that he tried to get Kyle Larson into the Ford camp and Ford didn't want to do it. Uh, I'm sure there was an option at one point, if he wanted to go back to Ganassi, if Ganassi wanted to do that, but Rick made it happen. Not sure what the sponsorship is going to be on that car, but it's irrelevant at this point because I do think Larson is going to be a guy who can go out there and, and win races. I mean, I think the thing that's really helped Con Larson this year and made him even, I think, look even better 
in a lot of people's eyes as far as his NASCAR career was concerned was just how much Matt Kenseth struggled in that 42 car for the better half of the year that he was in it. Um, they actually made a crew chief change. Chad Johnson was gone. Phil Surgeon was moved in there, an engineer, and it didn't help at all. But I think a lot of people looked at that and said, is Larson really that good? Because that car was pretty competitive. I mean, he finished ninth, eighth, ninth, and sixth in points the last four years. He was pretty competitive on that team the last you know, four or five years. Um, and he won six races in that time. So, and, and Kenseth, who's a, not a, a bad race car driver, certainly um, maybe the sports passed him by a bit, but he's not a horrible race car driver. Can't even finish in the top 20 in that car. So I think that's really made Kyle Larson look a lot better. And I do think it's going to add something to Chase because this year, coming into the year with Jimmy Johnson, knowing he was going to retire and sort of being on the back end of his career. And we knew you could see that the retirement on the horizon and Bowman being a guy who still has yet to prove himself. Same thing with Byron. Chase Elliott was the guy at Hendrick Motorsports. He was the guy. And, you know, he didn't really have anybody to challenge him. I think next year he's going to have somebody to challenge him. Cliff Daniels is a good crew chief, but we don't really know what he's got yet. Uh, he was handpicked by Jimmy Johnson to be the 48's crew chief. And we don't really know what, what we got from him yet. So I'm going to be curious the first 10, 15 races of this season, of next season, excuse me, 2021, without practice, if Larson can really get his, his arms around this, which he should. He's only been gone for about a year. Get his arms around this car and really figure out how to win races. And, and put, that will push Chase Elliott and I think make them better. Um, and, you know, I, I'm always a believer in when you drive equipment that's not so good and you figure out a way to make it competitive – that makes you a better race car driver. And Larson could be that guy who Chase Elliott's never been in bad equipment in his entire career. Larson has with, with Ganassi. He proved that this year. It was proved that this year by Matt Kenseth. So I think it's even made Larson even better. Um, as far as your several, uh, your other question about Chevrolet, I think the only guy that really stands out is, well, there's two guys really. Um, and, and Ganassi with Kurt Busch, who is a, a good driver, we still haven't really seen him hit that form that, he, that we're, we've all expected him to. Uh, Chastain's going to be in his first full-time year, so I don't really see anybody from Ganassi going out there and really uh, making a big dent for Chevrolet. But, you know, Austin Dillon's a guy I look at, and same thing with Tyler Reddick. I think Dillon's early playoff performance was really, really good. He was tremendous. Uh, there was talk that he people were like, he might he might win this championship. They fell off a little bit towards the end. But I think that was encouraging to where he could take it. That team is can build good race cars, and that driver can drive good race cars if they're there. So if they can put that all together for at least you know a good half of a year, it could put Austin Dillon in a good spot. And I think Tyler Reddick, Richard Childress knows a good race car driver when he sees one. And the fact that he had to move some things around, you know, Daniel Hemrick was in that car and he moved them around because he wanted to get Reddick into a Cup car. I think that was a good sign. When you look at statistics last year for Reddick, it wasn't as good as, as a lot of people think of, of him as. I think he finished like 19th in points. But there were some flashes, certainly last year. And he was in a rookie year. There were some flashes. So those are the two guys, Dylan and really Tyler Reddick, that really stand out to me as far as other guys in the Chevrolet camp that can really step up and, and be a factor here in 2021. Yeah, I'm part of the Reddick camp. I think I was on that <clears throat> on on your show or our, I mean, it's your show for sure. Um, but you've invited me on there and 
had a good time here for the last couple of years and hopefully for many years to come from that. And I think I was on the Reddick bandwagon a while back. Um, maybe it's because I'm a Keselowski guy or whatever, but he I, he impressed me in his limited appearances or one appearance in a cup car and then what he did in the Xfinity car for, for Childress. And the way Childress looked and talked to, about him it reminded me of the way he looked and talked about a certain guy, you know, that guy, the intimidator, you know, the, one of the greatest of all time. That's what it reminded me of. He's never talked about Austin or Ty that way. You know, God bless them. They have, they named their kids horrible names. They have, at least in Ty's case, he has a smoking hot wife. Um, but Tyler Reddick is their future. Um, I don't know what their plans are in terms of Xfinity. Uh, they have some worthy contenders that could possibly go out there and compete for a championship. The way Xfinity's looking next year, it's going to be really, really difficult to make the playoffs for sure. I mean, the smaller teams now, when you add a third colleague car, um, you consider what hasn't been announced yet with some of the other uh, teams that have been there. It's going to be a difficult um, m- uh, make to make the playoffs for some of the smaller efforts, the the hour motorsports with Brett Moffitt, the Jeremy Clements of the world, uh, you know, I guess Johnny Davis, even though they've definitely taken a couple steps back the last few years and et cetera, et cetera. You know, Brandon Brown, uh, Tommy Joe Martins, those guys, it's going to be a real battle just to even make this playoff. Um, and I think that's what makes, I guess, and that's something we'll get into, I think, with the scheduling and how the series are laid out um, here shortly. But I, you know, f- following on the Chevy point, I think it goes and we can transition towards the Toyota where when you consider the numbers and the amount of cars that exist for Chevrolet, at least in the Cup Series, and there is a lot in the Xfinity and even the Truck Series, Toyota doesn't have that much capital, but they spend a heck of a lot of money. Michael Jordan has come in to the sport and thrown a a lifeline to Bubba, Wallace, and also you know, actually added somebody who's got a ton of cash and is a big name that will bring sponsorship in a point in time in this sport where sponsorship is definitely at a premium more than it, I think even in 2008 when things bottomed out, 2007, 2008, when everything bottomed out um, in the Cup Series, um, you know, it for him to come in, is huge and they reported on it big and i think it'll pick up more in february once you know we get to daytona but toyota in general doesn't have a great track record of cultivating teams they have a great track record of cultivating talent and other people benefiting from their talent uh, kyle larson being one of those people uh, you know, you look at William Byron going and jumping to Kyle Busch for a year to go back to Hendrick. That's another one. Uh, there's and Tony Stewart's been outspoken about it, but then he hates Toyota, 
and he also threw the 2008 Daytona 500, which makes me nauseous. Um, but I digress. Uh, the point, I guess, for for you, Josh, um, first, I I look at Toyota, and you know, I think they're trying to re-examine where they're going to go and where they're going to put their money. They haven't fully determined what their truck series look is going to be. I think John Hunter's definitely going to compete for a championship. I think Chandler Smith. Scott Daddy's money, he's going to probably be there. But they're not going to commit as much to the truck series. They're not going to commit as much to the ARCA. I think they're starting to look at putting more money into Cup and Xfinity, which might be part of the reason why John Hunter uh, decided to go and drive a truck for Kyle Busch because he figures he can go and jump in a 2311 car uh, come 2022. In terms of, you know, what, what Clayton said about Hendrick, they've gone young. Gibbs has Kyle Busch, and he's never going to get rid of Kyle Busch. He's never going to get rid of Denny Hamlin, uh, and FedEx is never going to get rid of him. So those two guys are there. Chris Bell uh, took over the 20 car, which has become the RMD car. Um, you know, Eric Jones got hung out to dry. And now he'll he'll be driving for RPM at least for one year. I, I think it'll be a temporary stay for for Eric Jones there at RPM. But he was a Toyota guy. They built him up all the way. He was a Kyle Busch guy, really. Built him up, but they ran him out the door. You know, these front row, furniture row, uh, Levine family racing got ran out the door because of Toyota and, and Joe Gibbs. But... Where where do you see Toyota? I mean, not just about next year, because they definitely weren't as good this year. Um, where do you see Toyota going here in 2021? Are they going to be more like 2018 or 2019 when they had three of the four cars in the final four? Or is it going to be more like what we saw this year um, in 2020? And, uh, and where do you see... Toyota in terms of team layout uh, in the in the future. Yes. Yeah, so for Toyota going to next year, I actually think maybe it'll be a little bit of mix of both 2020 and 2019, um, where they were kind of off the whole year with part of Joe Gibbs Racing with Kyle Busch and Eric Jones not being really that good. Truex wasn't really that great either, but he had some solid results in the spring of the summer, wasn't good in the playoffs. And then Hamlin, who was kind of boomer bust, but he was good enough throughout the year to be in the final four. And I think they'll be a little bit better across the board, but I think maybe there'll be some struggles with Chris Bell being his first year in the 20. I think he'll show like why he should be in the Cup Series and ultimately why he's in that car but he'll probably have a lot of races where you know things go wrong or um, you know, they have like some bad strategy that puts them behind and they don't get a good finish and so that's definitely possible with Truex like they they have the capability but um, they weren't as great as they what they were in, in years past and so I think for all those guys like they they should have good results but it'll be kind of mixed and I would expect in 2021 that they will probably will have two of the spots in the uh, final four at Phoenix. We'll see what happens if that ends up being the case, but uh, they'll have their struggles and then they'll have their successes. But as far as like the 2311 
uh, team with Bubba Wallace and Michael Jordan. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's basically the fifth uh, Joe Gibbs car, uh, you know, if, informally speaking. And they're going to have their growing pains as well. We'll see how Bubba Wallace does going into next year. I think he'll have probably the best year of his career. But statistically speaking, you know, that doesn't really say a whole lot. I mean, he doesn't really, like in season-by-season basis, he doesn't really have a whole lot of top fives or top tens. You know, he only has like a handful. So I I think he can probably improve upon his numbers that he had uh, last year in the 43 car. I think they'll be better. But, you know, ultimately he probably won't be a playoff driver for at least another year as they continue to build that team up from the ground. So it'll be interesting to see how that team grows. And um, for the future, I, you know, I don't know how, how long it's going to be before that team decides to expand to two cars. If it's going to be as soon as 2022, like you imply, or even later, we'll have to see what happens. And I think Michael Jordan's probably going to want to feel it out. And I think Denny Hamlin, you know, he's going to want to feel it out as well. And maybe it'll be a year or two before they decide to expand to two cars, but who knows? I mean, maybe the plan is to go to two cars in 2022 or something like that, or 2023 would probably be beneficial as most teams are better off having uh, multiple cars in their organization and just helps everybody uh, improve and, and uh, be better and all that. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens and um, they'll have the support from Toyota and, and Joe Gibbs racing. So that'll help them as well. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what happens with that team. And as far as like, you know, the Xfinity series with Toyota, I mean, we have Harrison Burton in the 20 car and I think he'll have a good season next year. And then once that happens, like we'll have to see where he goes. Like it, uh, if he's going to stay with Toyota and wait for one of the rides at Joe Gibbs racing, or if he gets promoted up to a 2311 car, we'll have to see if something like that happens or if he decides to go to a different team, a different manufacturer. But I think overall, like Toyota, maybe they can get together and, and fund more teams in, in the lower series, like the Xfinity series. I mean, cause right now it's just Joe Gibbs racing's Xfinity team and, and it's not saying a whole lot, but we'll have to see what happens. It's going to be interesting if they, if they can grow beyond just Joe Gibbs racing, but with Toyota's history and racing really overall, they've always priced teams out of the sport uh, and then ultimately end up pricing themselves out of the sport. And you saw that in like formula one and IndyCar where, you know, they had support, in that those series for many years, but then eventually they ended up spending themselves out of the sport. And they've been in NASCAR for you know almost 20 years uh, since 2004 is 16th or 17 years now. So it, this is where they're committed. But the fact that they've only had one really stable organization with Joe Gibbs shows um, just how not great they are at um, being able to grow teams and have stability across uh, multiple organizations. Yeah, great point you brought up there, Josh, with um, Toyota's history of running teams and running series into the ground. I mean, you look at Toyota right now outside of NASCAR with Gibbs, uh, they're in World Rally, which is basically leaking oil at this point, and uh, the World Endurance Championship where they have no competition. Um, They didn't have any competition last year, basically. They don't really have competition going into the 2021 season as well, um, which is their their MO. Um, they threw tons of money at it in Formula One and sucked. Uh, 
royally. But in NASCAR, doing this gimmick has, has seemingly worked in a way. And I think this goes um, to what uh, David Reagan was talking about yesterday, Clayton. And he's uh, one of your guys, somebody that you, you followed and was a, was a favorite driver and them Georgia boys and all that. And he drove for Toyota for, for the ferry um, for a little while and, and wasn't great there. And he drove the 18 car and just like his buddy Michael McDowell isn't great in that car either. But um, I think the point that Josh made about, you know, we're going to have less cars out there. And, 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 and David brought up the point yesterday where he said, they're basically only going to have 36 teams like the Daytona 500, the race that for decades, you'd have 60 cars show up to 60, 70, 80 cars. And you'd have the 150 qualifying races actually meant something. He's saying that we're going to limit that. There's only going to be 36 cars. Like basically the charters are all that's going to be left. So, I mean, where in in that sense, I guess it fits and it works for Toyota um, in that maybe they can acquire, they could have three more charters somewhere along the line. Probably they'll buy out Rick Ware because he's never met a deal he wouldn't take. Um, or, or you know, maybe, you know, front row mo- motorsports might be an option. Uh, but I guess the question I have is, I think 2311's plan is they're going to go to four teams. How they're going to find three other charters is beyond me. Um, that, But when you consider how the bottom end of the charters kind of get flipped around, like we all change underwear and socks, um, it might be much easier than that. Um, I think the, the greater question is, what is the long-term viability of Toyota in this sport? Even with Gibbs, knowing that, you know, like, Joe Gibbs racing, they just ran out of, they just stopped their supercross program. So I guess that means Ty is going to come back because his son is about to get into Xfinity and trucks and all that. So maybe that's an angle. Um, Is, is the end game. They're going to have these two, you know, like anchor teams that are basically one. It's going to be like an eight car team. And then maybe they get another team or other car somewhere. Um, and who do you see as some of these options that might be getting into those additional seats? Well, that's a good question. And, and it's, I'll start with this and something that was, wasn't mentioned yet about Toyota and something that's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on. Since TRD and Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing, TRD and Joe Gibbs Racing combined their engine program, they have never house more than six engines out of that engine program. Even when they had BK racing, that was a BK racing was a triad engine program and triad engines were awful in the cup series. I mean, there was times where Michael Waltrip, when he was running at the end of his career, he refused to run in anything if it wasn't a TRD engine because he knew how bad triad engines were. So that's the thing, you know, let's think about the, the Joe Gibbs and TRD engine program and what they've put out over the last five or 10 years, you know, really since they've merged, I can't remember what year exactly was emerged, probably eight, eight, nine years ago now, but there was a three car Joe Gibbs racing operation. And there was a three car Michael Walter racing operation for a while. That was it. 
Then Michael Waltrip went to two teams, and Joe Gibbs got his fourth team. So it was really only six full-time teams they've pumped engines out to. They've never gone past that. Next year, they're going to have five teams with this 23 car with Bubba Wallace and, of course, the four Joe Gibbs racing teams. So obviously, you know, you can see there's there's an opportunity at least in the next couple of years to expand to another another car because TRD's done that over the last five or six years. They've had six cars. But beyond that, and and that's what makes the blueprints, and, and Denny Hamlin tweeted blueprints out of the 2311 team where they had four four car bays and four uh, uh, trailer bays, and everybody's like, oh, they're going to be a four-car team. You know, they're going to have to invest a lot of money into their engine program, get more people in there. If they want to pump out two more, three more motors per year, um, that's something they've never done before. So that's something to keep an eye on. And, you know, as far as what their end game is, I do think – they look at this Michael Jordan as an opportunity, but they have to start, they have to run good and they have to focus on this 23 team. You know, Joe Gibbs can't get all jealous and get all upset when, uh, if this 23 car starts to outperform one or two of his race teams, like he did with Barney Visser and then up the prices, Michael Jordan's going to sit there and go, no, 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 we're not doing that. I'm going to pull out. I need to make money. Michael Jordan needs to make money. and He needs to run good because if he doesn't, we've seen celebrities from other sports, get into Toyota before uh, Troy Aikman and Roger Stallback. Roger Stallback's got a ton of money. He's yep. a tremendous businessman got in there. And in a year and a half was looking to sell and sort sold Jeff Morad and at hall of fame racing. So, you know, we've seen people get into this sport. Bobby Ginn is another guy who uh, not Toyota, but that was a Chevrolet deal, but guys who have a ton of money and spend a lot early and then say, Whoa, 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 Whoa. So, my point to that is we have to sort of wait and see what this 23 team does. I do agree. I do think um, the 23-11 team is going to have some growing pains in their first year. But two or three years down the road here, they're going to have to expand to a two-car team. And I think that's very, very doable. Um, I think they can get their hands on a charter with this new car coming. I think they can put the finances in and all save them cost money, uh, save them money that way. Uh, but beyond that, it's going to be interesting to see. Now, who are guys that can take those rides? Number one is John Hunter Nemechek. I don't think John Hunter Nemechek leaves his cup ride at the 38. And I know that's not a great cup ride, but I don't think he leaves that ride and goes to Toyota without a verbal commitment from Toyota saying, listen, John Hunter, we know you can win races. You've proved it in the truck series. You've won a, an Xfinity series race. We know you're a good talent. Get what we want. What we need is, is you to go to the, to the truck series for a year or two, maybe run some Xfinity races in the 54 car this year. Uh, and, and go out and show everybody what you're made of. And if you do that, if you go out and win races, we're going to get you in a cup car here eventually. We believe in you. We believe in you a lot. So I definitely think John Hunter Nemechek is the number one name that comes to mind. Another driver you have to look at, and he really has to have another good year this year because last year he won three races, and I was shocked by it. But Brendan Jones, you know, he's got daddy's money there. There's no question that's what keeps that in there. But if he can win another three races, certainly who wouldn't t- take take his dad's money and say, hey, let, you, c- come to my team, you know, especially if you got two other teams performing and you got to add a third car and Reem comes and says, listen, we want to sponsor my son. Sure. Certainly. Brandon Jones can, can go to another ride. Harrison Burton, certainly a guy. I mean, he did a great job this year in Xfinity as well. And I'm interested to see Daniel Hemrick. Um, Hemrick, I, I talked about this on my podcast a couple of months ago when it was announced 
the deal to Joe Gibbs Racing, this is a make-or-break year for him. He has to prove that he can win races. He has yet to do that in NASCAR and the premium three divisions. Um, he's certainly proven he can do, be, do a good job and be consistent, but there's that next step that Daniel Hemrick has to take. And if he doesn't take that, if, if this year it's just another year where Daniel Hemrick has a decent year but it's not great, it, it could be the end of him. So he's a guy, 2021 is going to be a huge Huge year for Daniel Hemrick, in my opinion, in Toyota. He's somebody to keep an eye on. I I'm, I give Toyota a lot of credit for believing in him, and Joe Gibbs Racing a lot of credit for believing in him and moving away from Riley Herbst, which was not a great deal for them. But, um, you know, it was a lot of money to turn down. So, yeah, that's another guy. Obviously, there's other people out there in Xfinity who can make a jump from maybe a Chevrolet team to uh, a Toyota team. Uh, a guy I got my eye on is if, if he has a good year this year, um, in Xfinity is Jeb Burton. He's another guy sort of in that Harrison, or excuse me, in that Daniel Hemrick, you know, boat where they have to have a good year this year. He has to have a good year this year. There's no more excuses for Jeb Burton. There's no more excuses for Daniel Hemrick. Um, so those guys are certainly somebody to keep an eye on. And I do think Bubba Wallace is, is a long-term answer for, uh, Toyota. If he can win races, um, I don't expect him – I don't think this year's fair for him to go into 2021 and say he's got to win races and win a championship to compete for a championship. But I think two, three years down the road, that's going to have to be something he has to do, um, especially when you have as much um, confidence as he's had. You know, he talks like he's, like he's a very good race car driver. And listen, that is a good thing to have. Swagger is never a bad thing. But swagger comes off as arrogance when you don't win races. You know, Kyle Busch is a lot of swagger, but Kyle Busch, it looks like confidence because he wins a lot of races. And Bubba Wallace has that swagger, and that's a good thing if you win, but he's got to start winning here in the next two or three years. It's a big opportunity for him. But um, Toyota is a very interesting team uh, group because, again, it's um, – what are they going to do here in the next five years? I do think you're going to see them sort of curtail the development program a little bit. They've had a ton of guys, a ton of drivers who, I mean, I, I mean, just all you got to do is go through the Daytona 500 entry this next year and look at how many people were part of Toyota's development program that is no longer there. Uh, Matt Benedetto. I mean, uh, it, the list goes on and on and on. We, you talked about Larson, uh, you know, Joey Logano, how can we forget him? Uh, William Byron was part of the Toyota development program for a little while. Um, Eric Jones, you know, and the, uh, Alex Bowman, you can say, when he was driving for uh, Robbie Benton in Xfinity. So there was a, a Daniel Suarez. So there was a lot of guys, and that's just scratching the surface. There's a lot of drivers out there who Toyota has developed and have lost. And I think it's sort of silly for them to keep doing that if you're not going to expand your cup program. And I think that's their next step is to go out there and, and try and expand their cup program at least two cars here in the next five years uh, and maybe get that 2020, that 2011 team uh, into a two or three car operation here in the next three or four years. Yeah, that's got to be the plan. I figure whether it's Hamlin, you know, moving over to his own team or uh, something else goes on, I figure – Ty Gibbs, um, Coy, I said Ty Gibbs, Coy Gibbs, uh, his dad is probably going to come over and, and be a part of running the the main organization now that the Supercross program shit the bed. 
um, and also because his son is gonna end up uh, being in a in that car, one of those cars, whether it's the 18 or the 11. You figure that's the likely landing spot. I think Chris Bell's gonna get a lot more leeway relative to other drivers that have been in the program because Toyota has been on Chris Bell for a very long time, going all the way back to Keith Coons Motorsports and the Midgets, and he's been in their program forever. Um, He's going to get a lot more leeway to go and figure things out. And Bubba also, I mean, brought up your points. And uh, for me, I mean, obviously we were on both different sides of the Bubba argument in terms of his personality. I look at it similar to what Willie T did, but even in Willie T's case, he was winning and people didn't like that he was winning. And then they wanted to find anything that he did or anything that went off that they could get an opportunity to say that he wasn't, he didn't belong or that he didn't have, and he didn't have what it takes. And, uh, it had happened in the 80s, and that might have been a part, part and parcel for why he wasn't able to advance as far as he probably could have. And Bubba decided he wanted to take a chance, and he's like, look, if I wash out driving this equipment, then you're never going to hear from me again. And quite frankly, he's a pretty damn good photographer, and he's already figured out, he's already got things in in line one way or the other. I figure he's going to end up marrying Amanda and doing all that. And he's probably going to go off in the middle of nowhere and, and do that if it doesn't come off. But I think it, the long-term answer is it will for 2311. And I think they believe in Bubba to be the guy that can be a, a, a anchor there. And he could do what he did in the truck series. I kind of wish Jerry Baxter had moved over with him instead of having, you know, retread Joe Gibbs racing people. But, um, in the grand scheme of things, you have to win. And he hasn't won in a long time. He won one truck race uh, in 2017 after Roush um, uh, uh, went and ran the six car into the ground when he had had a chance to possibly win a championship in the Xfinity series. Um, he also ran the 43 car, which is why he ended up getting that opportunity when Eric Almirola had his incident at his wreck at Kansas. So, we will see what Toyota does. There's a lot of players in there, a lot of drivers, a lot of money, but who will come through? Uh, go to Ford, and I'll throw to Clayton first. I mean, the fact is Kevin Harvick won nine races this year, and he should have probably won the championship for all intents and purposes, but he wasn't able to perform on the 750 tracks, and the Stuart Haas racing team didn't have the greatest year on the 750 tracks. And then you add the Penske racing team, which definitely was good. Uh, Every driver kind of stood out and had their moments. The three main drivers, of course. Um, Blaney is a guy that has to really take a step forward for sure. I think it's a make or break year for him personally um, in 2021 with some of the moving pieces that are there, moving parts that are around. Also for Brad Keselowski, he's basically on a year-to-year deal. You wonder what Penske is going to do. I think in terms of Ford, they have a balance of youth. Of course, Chase Briscoe, me being a Chase Briscoe mark, um, unabashed uh, mark for Chase Briscoe. 
Um, happy anniversary to him and Marissa, their one-year anniversary. Uh, but he'll be a rookie next year driving for his hero and somebody I'm also mark of, Tony Stewart, in the 14 car. They might actually be relevant again, which will be nice. Um, don't know who's his spotter is going to be. Hopefully it's not Brett Griffin. Um, in terms of Ford, they do have a development program. I think they're putting a lot of money in Haley Deegan, uh, for whatever it is, whatever that's worth. Um, they're going to put money in Riley Herps because Riley Herps is going to, and, and them or that family is going to pay him. But, uh, you have Sindrick coming up. They have to balance this veteran versus, uh, youth, movement Joey Logano at the end of the day everyone he's the most hated driver outside of Kyle Busch I think in this sport but Joey Logano is the long-term one of the pizza faces of Ford and but after Joey Logano where where do where does Ford stand I think in in terms of their not only short-term uh situation but long-term uh for, for where, where their prospects are relative to Chevy and Toyota? Well, I think it's an outstanding question by you because a lot of the drivers who you look at Ford, you say, can they be there in their current ride five years down the road? You know, you talked about Kozlowski. You hit the nail on the head with that. He's on one-year contracts. Will he be a Penske? Who knows? You know, a lot can happen in a year. Um and I think part of it was he wanted to get paid a little bit more money than than what the pandemic's going to allow him to be paid. So that was part of the one-year deal there. We know Harvick's locked up through 2022, but listen, Harvick's in his mid-40s now. He doesn't have too many years left in him if he wants to go past 2022. I don't think he does. So that's a ride that Ford's going to have to fill here in the next three or four years. Ryan Newman's in the final year of his contract David Reagan brought it up on the show last night that Roush is going to have to figure out a way to get somebody in that car who's a good young driver. Um, Eric Amarola certainly has done a decent job at Stuart Haas, but he hasn't won a ton of races. And Smithfield helps fund that. But once Smithfield starts to, you know, if Amarola doesn't win and Smithfield says, listen, we love your situation at Stuart Haas, but we feel like we can get somebody a little bit better, could be the end of Amarola. You know, I don't see him staying there. If he doesn't win a lot of races, I don't see him staying there for three or four more years. You talked about Ryan Blaney. Um, needs to win. Four wins in four years is not good enough, especially when you have Chase Elliott, who's the defending champion. A lot of people put them in the same boat because they're young drivers and they're sort of rivals. Um, but he hasn't gotten a job done. And they made a crew chief change there, and he just hasn't gotten it done. So if he doesn't pick it up in the next two years, you can see somebody else driving a 12 car. And the list goes on and on. Briscoe, obviously, I think he's going to be fine. Busher, a lot of people like. I like him. I think he's a really good driver. But Roush right now is sort of a question mark as far as three or four years down the road. Matt Benedetto, he's an interesting guy because we know he's in a lame duck year with Austin Sindrick going to that 21 car in 2022. So he's going to have to run good there to turn some heads. Now, Roush is going to have an opening probably with Ryan Newman out of there. Um, but they don't have that. I mean, Cole Custer's a guy who can do a good job as well in in that uh, in that 41 car. He's a young kid, won a race this year. But they don't have that, you know. After aside from Briscoe, that young driver and Cedric, that young driver who's next in the pipeline. And I think that's part of why you see you might be seeing 
uh, David Gilliland racing in the truck series, expanding to a four truck operation with Tanner Gray and um, Haley Deegan, as you mentioned earlier, and maybe Todd Gilliland in that ride. Uh, I think that could be why you see Ford in there. And maybe Ford starts to sit there and go, you know what, we're paying a lot of money for these for these um, Thor Sport trucks as well. Let's try and get a young guy in there, a young driver in there and two. So there's certainly some options, but they're, they're going to have to get creative like, like Hendrick did. They're going to have to figure out a way to get some of these drivers that was either brought up by Toyota or Chevrolet and get them into a Ford um, and get them into a competitive Ford. They're going to have to get very creative. One guy I look at, and I, I don't know what teams haven't seen in him yet, and it's probably just that he doesn't bring the sponsorship money in, is Brett Moffitt. But if I'm a Ford team, and I'm Ford, and I look at a guy who's won a ton of truck races in his career. He did a very, very good job with our motorsports, a solo car, car operation in Xfinity um, without a cup alliance. I look at them and say, okay, who can we kind of get – where can we put Brett Moffitt? Do we want to put him in a Roush car for a couple of years after Ryan Newman leaves and say, you know what, we'll get him in a cup car. That's a competitive enough car. Is that something Roger Penske kind of wants to dabble in? If Brad Keselowski decides, you know what, I'm not, I've had enough of Team Penske. I've had enough of Ford. I'm going to go somewhere else. Is that another driver that somebody dabbles in? So there's options. Brett Moffitt is certainly an option. I do expect him to get a cup ride here in the next three or four years just to, you know, just because there's just not going to be a lot of, of young kids um, in the Chevrolet and Ford camp that are going to be ready to go. Uh, I'd mentioned Daniel Hemrick earlier. He's another guy who, if he run, wins a lot of races in Xfinity this year, certainly can put himself in the conversation. Um, maybe steal John Hunter and check from a Toyota team. If John Hunter, if you really believe in him, another guy. So Ford's going to have to, and I think that's part of the reason why, Riley Herbst is in a 98 this year, Phil, Philip. I don't know if it's necessarily that he think Herbst is going to be a guy they can build around in the next three or four years, but he's an option to keep that 98 team open. So if you do have a good good kid coming up here, and you do have somebody like Todd Gilland, if he wins, wins a lot of races in, the, in trucks next year, okay, what's the next step for Todd Gilland? Oh, we can put him in a 98 car. At least we got a spot for him. You know, Riley Herbst will keep that the doors open on a 98 team with the sponsorship money he brings. So I think that's what it's ultimately why they decided to keep that 98 team open. Um, and, you know, Team Penske's going to have to figure out a way to somebody in that to get somebody in that uh, um, in that Xfinity 22. series car and a 22 and Cindric's up there next year. So maybe a, a time of Jeske if they want to go that route. I don't know what he's going to be doing next year. So uh, certainly a lot of options. But that's where Ford, I think. If they want to really make a go of it, um, they're going to have to expand their Trinity Series program somehow, some way, either get a car car or two more in there, um, and they're going to have to spend there because that's ultimately where um, the progression is going to be. They just can't bank on stealing drivers. They're going to have to create another team or two in there, and then they'll be in better shape moving forward. Yeah, it's a great point there. The, the truck series is a – you know, whatever, they have the crappy Elmore engines and they're just bodies. So, but the point is DGR Crosley has basically become a uh, Ford affiliate uh, junior program of sorts. And uh, Raphael Lassard, I think, might be in play. Uh, you brought up the point about some of these drivers, Clayton, and that might be coming over. And Josh, I'll throw it to you. And I think it, it's more it's more relevant to next year. The 
biggest ride that's available right now um, for the Cup Series, and it's a full-time ride. It's a ride that was a top 25 car basically most of the year is a front row motorsports number 38. And we still don't have a driver. We still don't really know who's in play. I know Clayton, you have some insight on, on, or you've had heard things or whatever. And I guess we could talk about it a little more openly. I, you know, Ty Dillon is somebody who hasn't, who doesn't have a ride. He's driven a Chevy his whole career. But the notion that always oh, married to Chevy, it's it to me, it's comical. I think if somebody's going to tell him he's going to get a paycheck, he's going to get to be in a competitive ride. That's probably better than what he was driving the last few years at 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 uh, uh, what do you call at the thirteen car, uh, Germain. You're going to tell him he's going to turn it down. Um, Outside of that, I think Brett Moffitt would have been a great option. I think Brett Moffitt is somebody that is underemployed. Um, he's been underemployed for a few years now. He got ran out of a, a team after winning a championship. He drove for MWR. He won a Rookie of the Year in the Cup Series. The guy is a talent. He's been able. He's been at these one races in multiple levels. The fact he's not in the Cup Series to me is criminal. Uh, but then Rick Ware Racing has two charters, so there's there's many problems with this sport. Um, I guess the question is with Ford, Josh, um, I'll throw to you, is who do you see as, as that option? Who's going to be in that, that? Because it seems like, for all intents and purposes, Michael McDowell is going to get the call back for the 34 for whatever reason. Um his his whole entire career is based on hitting the wall of Texas in 2008 and getting his ass kicked by um, by Daniel Suarez on pit road at Phoenix. Um, and Bubba should have beat the shit out of him after he right reared him at after Michael McDowell right reared him at Bristol. But that's beside the point. Um, who do you see as uh, options uh, right now as for the 38? And maybe, you know, expand on who who else could stand out for Ford as we move on here into 2021. Yeah, so you talk about, like, Ty Dillon, who he was in that Jermaine car for several years. And I think at, at worst, going over to the 38 car is probably like a, a lateral move. So in terms of performance, you know, like, at worst, it would basically be the same and certainly could be a lot better than what he thinks it might be so it's definitely an option um you know somebody like um maybe in the truck series who drives the number 99 car like ben Rhodes. maybe he's um somebody they decide to go take a look at and grab him from uh that team and and put him in in the 38 i mean he's had a couple of solid runs in the truck series the last couple of years and he had a couple of races in the 88 car back in 2015 2016 in the xfinity series for junior motorsports so maybe they can get him and into that 38 car and put him in, uh, in that ride for next year. And you know, definitely it would be a rookie season for him. So there'll be some struggles, but he, he could be a guy that they could look at, I think. Um, but certainly I, I think that's probably a, a car that, I mean, it could go unfilled and it's possible right now. I mean, it's too early to tell, but I mean, they'll probably figure out somebody. Um, I mean, but you talk about like in the future, maybe that's a car for like, um, maybe Ford decides to go and put in a rookie driver in that car, like, like Haley Deegan or 
or somebody or um, uh, Tanner Gray or somebody like that, or maybe even Todd Gilliland goes into that ride in, in a couple years and, and uses that to springboard himself up into a future Ford ride like um, Stuart Haas or a Team Penske car. That's certainly a possibility. And and the, there's a lot of you know opening seats uh, that could be available in the uh, Ford camp in the future. But I think in the immediate future in next season in 2021 and 2022, I think Ford's definitely probably got the uh, best chance of being competitive in the cup series. I mean, they're going to have Kevin Harvick coming back and trying to avenge his uh, failed run at the championship in 2020. And uh, you have Chase Briscoe, who's going to be in the 14 car and probably will bring the best performance to that car in the, um, that it's seen and probably since Tony Stewart was uh, pre-injured before, you know, before that time in 2013. And um, mm-hmm. I think definitely that team and, and, you know, with uh, Joey Logano in the 2022 and uh, uh, Ryan Blaney, if he can pick up the performance and uh, not fade at the end of races, like we've noted on this podcast, I think definitely Ford in the immediate future can uh, certainly have the most uh, chance for success, but, like Clayton said, it's going to be a lot of questions to answer um, in the next couple of years as they line up their cars for the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be something to see, and we will definitely get into all of the silly season stuff. I mean, Corey LaJoy uh, signed on with Spire, and we'll talk about A.J. Allmendinger. You know, uh, I don't know if he's quitting the Cush gig, calling IMSA as well, but uh, I think he's going to still be employed by NBC. So he gets the best of both worlds and he gets the bang of pageant model. So uh, he's got it all, uh, AJ Allmendinger. And uh, whoever works for colleagues, um, social media um, is outstanding. They have, they do a great job with their uh, social media there. So credit to colleague racing uh, with the, their announcements and they do things and also um underrated piece aj allmendinger's picture of chris rice is hilarious i'm sure that is actually his picture of chris rice that he has on there um which is which is classic um i'm going to transition here to the schedule and i'm going to give the floor first to clayton uh, the fact is there, there's a couple things that that David Reagan brought up yesterday about the schedule and how there aren't really short tracks that are capable of holding races. But I think he opened the door to what the real issue is. And it's not a safer barrier issue considering some of the tracks that ARCA races at and are, is going to be racing at here in 2021 since they announced their schedule uh, today. I mean, they raced at a racetrack that had no walls in the corners. So the notion that you need to have safer barriers is BS. Um, The notion you need to have a ton of grandstands is also BS. Because Daytona used to have uh, 150,000 seats or whatever the hell it was and now I think they're down, they cut it down to half of that or something like that. I'm not uh, sure exactly, but whatever they, the, the, the actual, the term they've used is quote, and I'm doing, I'm doing the air quotes right now, <laughs> right sizing, yep. end quote. 
uh, for all of these racetracks, uh, like they went and destroyed Nazareth and took all those grandstands, put them in Watkins Glen, and they sell out every single one of them. Um, like they talk about, oh, they can't go and run at certain tracks because of the wall, but then they're going to run Knoxville Raceway uh, for the trucks next year, and it's a guardrail. Right. Um, so that, 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 I guess that's one piece, like how, how do you go and say that you need certain things? I mean, it might fit with two of my terms or whatever. Um, you know, it might be two of my terms that I usually use here and elsewhere and on your, on talking circles and might be that talking out of their ass in terms of not being able to go to a certain track. But I think David brought up good points. But I also would give you the floor relative to this new car, which Jim France is a big part of. Um, It's got a lot of sports car characteristics to it. V8 supercars in Australia. Uh, We're old school guys, Clayton. Uh, We've both been watching the sport a long time. I know you're very um, outspoken in regards to what what the schedule, especially in the in the Cup and Xfinity side, which is basically the same schedule, for all intents and purposes, it's the same schedule, how it's laying out and what it's looking like here in the future. Well, let me start by saying, you know, part of what Reagan said last night and was truth was, um, he said part of the reason why you don't see the non-companion events in the Xfinity series and truck series is the sanctioning fees yep which was a very interesting point because i had heard that about rockingham back when andy hillenberg owned that racetrack that that was part of why rockingham had fallen off the truck schedule again was because the sanctioning fees were so high he couldn't be able to make that payment and then make a profit off a truck race because you got to remember the competition that a track like that which is owned by a single person is going against the competition that, that a small track owner like that is ISC or SMI who are multi-billion dollar corporations. So that's the biggest problem to me is that 90% of the tracks and even Dover motorsports, you can consider a multi-million dollar corporation. Those are the big three right now. Pocono's its own entity, but they sort of have, I think, a, an agreement there with the France family and the Mattiolis where they kind of keep it on the schedule. It's a Northeast racetrack. They love that Northeast market. Um, but other than that, you know, if you don't if you're not part of, of the ISC SMI, you know, package, then you're in rough shape. Um, I do give them some credit for the schedule this year because it it's a little bit more variety this year with the road courses. I, I personally, I know I'm in the minority on this. I know people are going to go crazy when they hear it. I personally don't like road course racing. I just don't. I grew up strictly a NASCAR fan in the 1990s and early 2000s. I loved oval tracks. I loved what NASCAR had, that product they had. When I watched IndyCar, I went, I don't like that. When I watched Formula One, I went, I don't really care for that. Um, and it was road course racing. And I was like, I can live with it at Watkins Glen, Sonoma, something different, something cool. But the, the, the roots of NASCAR is a short track and what we're missing. And this is what I was trying to hit on with David last night. And to me, 
the biggest problem with this schedule is, and I thought we'd see it with the truck schedule. I thought the reason why truck schedule was being delayed was because they were going to go to these three or four short tracks that nobody saw coming. They were going to figure out a way to get there, and it, and it was a big letdown to me. But I want to see them go to a track like, I mean, ARCA announced today they're going to the Milwaukee Mile, which was awesome to see. And I know that's not a short track, but it's it's a unique racetrack. It's a good racetrack. Um, they're also going to still continue to run at Iowa. There's a lot of short tracks. Salem, which is a, a legendary short track for the ARCA series. There's a lot of different short tracks. Uh, Winchester. There's a lot of different short tracks that ARCA's run at here that the truck. there's no reason why the trucks can't run there. And that's what I want to see. I want to see some of these tracks get in there and infiltrated into the, the truck series. And then maybe five, ten years say, you know what? This has put on some good racing. Let's see if we can get in the Xfinity race. And then as crazy as it sounds, if it sells out and everything, everybody loves it, give them that cup money. Because that's ultimately what these tracks are banking off of is the TV deal. It's not that they can't get – and this is where I disagreed with David Reagan when he said you need 75,000 fans there. I don't think you do. I think you need a cup race because the cup race has been is is the cup money where these tracks are really making their money is a TV deal. Look at Nashville. This is what this is what drives, drives me crazy a little bit is you'll have people in the industry tell you that if you show up to your racetrack and your racetrack puts on good racing or your put, racetrack puts on good racing, if you support your track, it's not going to go anywhere. Well, tell the people that in Chicagoland. I don't think Chicagoland had any any attendance issues. How about Kentucky? Certainly, they were they weren't selling out tracks, but they they weren't as bad as like Over. when you you looked at it and said, "Oh boy, that that's that's a horrible." Nobody's showing up there. But there's a reason why they moved out of those racetracks. And look at Nashville this year. The Truck Series, when the Truck Series and Xfinity Series ran at the Nashville Super Speedway, the last time they ran there, there. You could count the number of people in the stands, yet they get a cup race because they're in a, in a market that's hot right now. So it's it's just – to me, ultimately, this is the problem with the sport entirely in NASCAR in my opinion, but I'm going to use it as a schedule as a schedule for this. Everything else matters but what the race fans want. They care about what market they're in. They care about um, – what the TV networks want to do as far as not bringing two crews there to a racetrack, uh, two crews to two different racetracks. They care about everything else, but what the fans sit there and say, Hey, I want to go to Darlington twice a year, or, Hey, I want to do this twice a year. Um, and they are going to Darlington twice a year and give them credit for that next year as well. But, um, I, I just want to see more short tracks on this schedule. And, and the only way to me that's going to happen is if you infiltrate the short tracks into the truck series next year or the year after. And I hope that's what they do because that to me is the ultimate end game with, with the short tracks. That's the only way they're going to get them on there. Yeah, it's that's the, I wanted you on because I wanted you to kind of go on the fact of the schedule. It's to me also, I'm a, I love all different types of motorsport. So the more road courses I'm, I'm, you know, kind of 50, 50 on the fact that Hendrick motorsports and chase Elliott has become kind of this road course King. I'm kind of worried about it in the sense that Tony Stewart might lose his all time record as 
the road course king because Chase Elliott's like whatever he is, like 25 years old, and he's got plenty of years to go. But the reality is the road courses that we have, especially Tier 1 road courses or Grade 1 road courses, which both Circuit of the Americas and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course um, are, they're the only two uh, Grade 1 road courses that exist for the FIA in in the United States, of course, Montreal, which was a place which put on a ton of uh, interesting races, there's um, another one that we haven't gone to in a few years, and at least until COVID gets under control, we won't be going to. Um, but they do need to go to short tracks. There has to be an identity. Truck Series doesn't have one. They lost their identity a long time ago, and they kind of need one or else they're going to go under. I think the only reason why the Truck Series exists anymore is because of, you know, whatever, what's-his-face, um, Ben Kennedy and whatever. They, the Truck Series, as we know it, should be going under. Um, there's no money in it. You don't make money running in it. It makes no sense that it's there's a viable product. It's the same way as Arca. I mean, there has to be a reevaluation of the product in general. Um, and I, I guess, Josh, I'll throw to you on that. I mean, the Xfinity product, uh, the the budgeting and everything. And I think that'll be the last question we'll get into in more detail here in a moment. But you look at the schedule that we have here in in 2021 across all three series we're going to have a little bit more dirt racing but are we losing the plot here um is is this move making nascar more like imsa or is it because jim france is an imsa guy his whole entire life has been focused on the road racing side of the family business um with the Gen 7 car, um, are, is this basically what we're going to have? Are we going towards, I mean, do, does the 750 rules package change that they've made and increasing it towards racetracks that are under a mile and a half, is that more what we're going to see? Or are we stuck with like the 550 rules package BS that we've had to deal with? Um, on and off for the last few years and uh, road it'll be a more road courses than short tracks like it is in 2021 so i think nascar is going to transition to more of a road course series i think it'll be kind of imsa or maybe like a, a v8 supercar ish type of series where um, you're going to have a mix of road courses um, and ovals, as you know, NASCAR can't completely abandon the ovals. But with the addition of the road courses uh, onto the 2021 schedule, I think that's going to be the future where you'll have more road courses on the schedule. And I think they're going to position themselves also to do some street racing as well, because um, I think they've got to figure out a way to be more marketable. And I think they're going to experiment with trying some street races in the future. Um, 
I guess they see how they can have a event for three days where some like something like IndyCar does, where they have a street event for a whole weekend and they can get in a lot of fans th- across a three day thing and it's in the middle of the city. So there will be a lot of interest there. So I think maybe in the future, possibly like a schedule where it's like a third road courses and street courses, a third short tracks, and then the rest of it ovals, a third ovals. And then I, you know, it's going to be a mix of that. So we'll we'll see what happens, but I think that's what it's going to likely be. But I think another thing you have to look at is like Bob Levine mentioned on Twitter on like Sunday or Saturday, like the the fact that the TV schedule or the the TV broadcasters like they kind of dictated to NASCAR to run the Bristol Dirt Race next year, and it was basically that or go back to the three day weekends um, and increase the costs again. And they basically got forced into voting for the uh, Bristol Dirt Race because nobody wanted to go back to three day weekends because um, they would have to spend a lot more money for that. And you know everybody's kind of running on tighter budgets now because of what happened with coronavirus and all of that so I, th- I think the broadcasters are going to continue to put more money um, or continue to force NASCAR into making scheduled decisions like that um, I mean I'm not 100% on board with the Bristol Dirt Race I'm not sure how it's going to turn out um, but it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out but I think that's something you have to think about is like just how much the networks are going to be influencing the tracks and they're going to be on the schedule for the the cup series in the future and they're going to force the teams to vote for races maybe that they don't necessarily want to have because it might be a gimmick or something like that and i think that's something you have to be concerned about but i think definitely it's it's going to be a mix of road courses and and uh, street courses that are in the future for nascar i mean i don't think anybody likes it but that's the direction they're going in i mean look at the a new car for 2022 it's basically going to be a road course car that can race on ovals that's what it's looking like it handles good on the roval uh from what the tests have uh, been so far and they're still working on the oval side but it's definitely going to have a future where they expand to the road courses yeah i figure that i'm not so sure about where the schedule is going to go i think smi and you know the France family want to have the series more majority ovals and they'll have IMSA have its own piece. Um, the Gen 7 car is in a lot of ways has V8 supercars underpinning. So it'll be something to see for sure. And I think that's what we'll end on for this episode i think of of this portion of the nascar roundtable hoping to continue it during the um you know off season but i'll throw to you josh first since we just talked about it i mean you look at the six-speed transmission sequential gearbox i don't know if they're going to go to the paddle shift some of the other pieces they have there um They don't have the oval situation figured out yet. It obviously doesn't really drive that well or race that well for the drivers. But do you believe that NASCAR, and I think David Reagan brought this up, and Clayton, I'll throw to you uh, to close out on this topic. Uh, You know, he brought up a point of how um they're trying to balance the horsepower we should know how much horsepower there is 
but maybe it's a push for Goodyear to actually make a better tire. Um, I've been outspoken about them and their product for many years, um, not only here, but on Talking in Circles or anywhere else that I could go and talk about um, Goodyear. Uh, maybe this is the time where they'll make a softer tire that can go and wear out over a run that won't blow out. Um, it's why they've had to go to rebadge Dunlop tires in the World Endurance Championship and British Touring Car Championship, amongst other places, to make it seem like Goodyear actually knows how to make a racing tire. Um, what do you look at in terms of this new car, the positives and or the negatives relative to what NASCAR racing is compared to what theoretically it's based on? Yeah, so for this car, I mean, I think it's going to be a paddle shifter with the six-speed uh, transmission, and I think that was confirmed that they're going to move away from the six shift, which I think NASCAR, that m might be a mistake because, you know, NASCAR has always been known for being the um, you know, classic, you know, gear shift, uh, six shift car, and, and we've seen, you know, how drivers you know, use that on the road course and the, the technique that that takes. And it's just, you know, kind of a classic old school feel. And I, I think that that should be something that they keep, but they're obviously looking like it's going to be a paddle shifter uh, type car here in the future. But um, I think, you know, handling wise, I think they're trying to make it asymmetrical or, or a symmetrical car actually. Um, Cause I, they, they want to be able to stop the teams from having, you know, the right side flat, but then the left side of the car is all molded and shaped aerodynamics uh, to improve the handling. And, and, you know, we saw that in the mid two thousands with the twisted sister. And um, even in the gen six era, they um, they're not quite as free in that department, but certainly if you take a die cast, you can see the, uh, left side of the car is uh, shaped differently than the right side and I think they're going to try to put a stop to that and um, hopefully that can bring some uh, balance uh, from the aerodynamics but um, I don't think it's going to really improve the racing that much on the ovals because you know they still have the big spoiler and and they're limiting the horsepower which to answer your question on that I think they're doing that not only maybe for the tires to be more stable, but they're also trying to give an avenue for other manufacturers to uh, possibly enter the sport. Uh, I don't think anybody was going to enter the sport if it was still a 900 horsepower series because it takes a lot of money to fund engine programs to produce 900 horsepower engines. And if they you know, can have a bandwidth range from like 550 to 750 horsepower, I think uh, that would be a little bit better for, you know, teams like or manufacturers like um, Honda or um, like BMW or something like that to potentially um, enter the series and, and fund a, a team or two because it'll be easier to enter with um, a, a lower cost of entry and and uh, lower standards as far as horsepower go. So we'll see what that happens. But I think, you know, with the car having like a flat underbody or something resembling that, that's going to be interesting to see like, like how they can um, – how that affects like the downforce of other cars like in in traffic if um the aero push isn't as bad as it has been before maybe maybe that helps i don't know but you know they had that experimental car from a few years ago that never really made it on track past testing uh, i think they're going to incorporate a lot of ideas into that you're seeing the um splitter is a little bit raised off the ground and it's allowing air to travel under the car 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that affects uh, car and race conditions in traffic if uh, they can race closer together. But it seems like right now, like by itself, the cars don't handle quite as well. And we saw that even before this test with uh, Kurt Busch and Martin Truex. I think, you know, William Byron had tests at uh, Auto Club Speedway back at the beginning of the season. And it seemed like that car wasn't handling that great. And he ended up crashing that car. So you have to see um, how that affects the drivers and if they're going to continue to have handling issues there on the ovals. But um, I'm very curious to see, like, uh, what what they end up doing with the engines if they decide to stay in, in that 550 range or if they go higher than that. I mean, I think they should go higher than that, but I don't think NASCAR agrees. Yeah, that's something that, you know, they probably should go with the 750 and run the 750 across the board and, and take your chances on the cookie cutters. I think it's more of a case of getting the cars off the ground and um, letting air get underneath the car again like they had in the 90s before the uh, in the Gen 4 era before the the I they you called the, the Twisted Sisters one nickname I called them the lobster cars whatever they look like freakazoid kind of uh, contraptions that don't look anything like an actual stock car um, it started in the mid to late like it started with the Monte Carlo, the reintroduction of Monte Carlo in 95, and it went to the Taurus and uh, the Pontiac to a lesser extent. And then when Dodge came in, um, and it went on to what it did before the, the, the COT came in and swapped everything over. Uh, Clayton, I'll throw to you. Uh, you can kind of give us your thoughts on, based on what... Uh, Reagan said your thoughts on the Gen 7 car and then kind of let us know where we can find you, um, not only on socials, but uh, both podcast writing. And um, uh, hopefully we'll be able to have you on again here during the offseason for more roundtables. Yeah, for sure. Uh, First thing I want to say is I think he's Josh is 100 percent right on um, why they are going to the 550 package. You know, I don't think they about the fan pushback that they're getting right now. Um, I, I don't think when Steve O'Donnell says 80% of the fans like uh, the 550 package, I don't think he's being 100% truthful there. I think the only reason why they're doing that on these big-time racetracks is to get a manufacturer in here. That's that's the only re- another manufacturer in here. That's the only reason. Um, it's It would cost, you know, and I remember having this conversation Five years ago, probably on Talking in Circles, when my twin brother was it was on the show with me, and saying the biggest problem with getting a manufacturer in here is going to be can they create their own engine program? I felt like that was part of the reason why Dodge should have maybe just gone out there and said let's take what Roger Penske had when when Roger Penske left Dodge, let's take what he had and build our own engine program from there and sub it out and get all these smaller teams at that time. Um, and just sell our engines and try and make it that way. Um, but that would have been the easiest way if they ever wanted to get a NASCAR again because of the engine program. So that is certainly, I think, 90% of the reason why they're doing the 550 horsepower package is because they want to keep the speeds down. They want to take horsepower to make the engines not nearly as big of a thing. And 
make it to where a manufacturer can come in here and make it a little bit easier on their engine program. I really think that's why they're doing that. Um, as far as a new car is concerned, I, listen, I, I, I know David last night on the show was very positive towards it. And some, one of the things he said that, that I, you know, I learned and, and I will uh, take with me is he was basically saying that he felt if we continued down the path we're on with team ownership, that it was unsustainable. We could not keep what we were doing. So we had to get a new car to help the owners out. And certainly something uh, needed to be done there. I would have gone a little bit of different route and that mine's a little mine. I can tell you, you know, uh, on a different day, what my idea would have been. A lot of people would have hated it, but I think it would might've had a little bit bigger impact, but um, this new car is what we're going to have to live with. One of the things I'm really concerned about, is the team aspect of it. I know David kind of shot that down and said, well, there's a lot of adjustments you can make on this race car still. I'm nervous about that. I think the ultimate goal when this hybrid engine, you guys might know more about it than I would because you're much more familiar with hybrid engines and other series. It's going to extend green flag runs and we're going to get into a point where we just run to the stages and pit. And we're going to take the, you know, uh, pit crews basically away from the race teams and the owners aren't going to complain about that because they don't have to pay. They don't, then they don't have to pay anybody to change the tires. You're going to come in, you're going to change tires and pit and make adjustments and you're going to go right back out to where you were when the caution flew. So I'm concerned about that aspect. I'm concerned you can't build these race cars anymore. And I'm concerned that every, it's almost going to be like IROC was where everybody sort of gets their own car, gets, gets a car and you, you know, you could tweak on your pieces, which is different than IROC, but there's not much you can do to these cars because we think about how we, you know, how NASCAR measures these cars with a laser. So there's not much gray area at all, especially if you're going to bring in a, a composite body here in 2022. So to me, it's that's my biggest fear is that when NASCAR tells you it's a team sport. I don't think it's going to be nearly as big of a team sport in 2022 as it is in 2021. And I love the team aspect of it. I love different, you know, you pull a crew chief here, you pull a crew chief there. I love that. And I'm afraid that's going to go away to a major extent here with this new car. That's my fear. I'm also, my fear is that, and I brought this up on the show last night, that too close is such a thing. And I think we could get to a point where we're too close and everybody's going the same speed. My personal idea with this new car would be to have some pieces on there that you can let these teams adjust on, let them put the spoiler wherever they want, let them, you know, do, do different things with the front nose. Um, as long as they're in a spec and you want to, be strict with that. I'm okay with that, but there's gotta be some differences here or everybody's going to run the same speed and we're not going to go anywhere. And we're going to get to a point where it's going to be like, no offense to you guys. And I know you love this style of racing and I apologize, but it's going to get to be like formula one where strategy is the most important thing. And you get maybe a few passes here and there. That's not what I want my NASCAR to be. And I think it could be so much more better than that. So those are my two biggest fears with this car is taking the team aspect of it and really being too close. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's something that we will see. And I and, and personally, to me, I think this is where the sport has been going anyway. Um, whether a uh, fan of Formula One, not of for, Formula One, I think they've been, and Jim France has been a, Jim France has been a piece of it. I think also his two um, bubbleheads that he has uh, in SOD and Steve Phelps, that they're ball lickers and they'll do anything he tells them to do. That's part of the reason why uh, the sport is kind of moving this way. Um, Clayton, uh, thanks for coming on. Before you uh, leave, uh, let us know where we can follow you um for for all your work so i do write for frontstretch.com I, I'm, I think you mentioned that earlier um you the piece i was dedicated to this year and it might change in 2021 but it was a two-headed monster that was my baby this year on frontstretch.com so if you ever see that um i sort of you know pr- help produce all those topics and uh occasionally help write those topics you can hear me on talking in circles it's a podcast i have philip matthew does a great job obviously and uh, spencer cowan as well um, as a co-host and uh, you know, that's basically it. Um, I, I love this sport and uh, we, what I try and do in talking in circles, if you're not familiar with it, just a real quick is I try and be the voice of, I feel like there's a lot of fans out there whose voices are not heard. I try and be those, those fans voice on talking in circles. That's the ultimate goal. Um, and I feel like, you know, the, everybody is so connected with people in the sport that they it affects what they say and how they feel. And I try not to do that on talking circles. So um, if we can, you know, it, it, that's the ultimate goal. And if we do that even a little bit, um, that's, that's what makes me proud. So uh, hopefully we do that. And, and, you know, we're there every Monday night. So see us on talking in circles, like us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and you, you'll get all our content there as well. And uh, your Giants are leading the uh, NFC, so uh, we will see who wins that, whether it's your Giants uh, with Cole McCoy's uh, pea shooter as, um, mm. as uh, I forget what fantasy website I was on, uh, called his arm, or uh, the Washington uh, Generals, or the Cowgirls, or possibly even the Eagles, if um, they figure it out, which is highly unlikely. Um, thanks, man. Uh, Thank you, Philip. I'm glad, glad that we've become friends and we've been able to work together on this and in the way that, you know, other podcasts may compete or whatever. I don't look at it as competition. I look at it as making connections and making friends, and I'm glad that we've been able to do that it was a twitter random twitter post in january of 2019 and i was somehow or another looking on there and scrolling and i said i was available and what has started is something that's really good and hopefully we'll be able to continue to do that for many years to come as you become a father um congrats to you and the missus on that and thank you and we will uh, – the NASCAR roundtable, I think, is going to be a part of the off season here on the GSP. So um, doors always open to you. And um, let us know when you're available. And uh, follow Clayton on uh, on 
Facebook and uh, personal page. I think it's CG Caldwell. Um, 89. Yeah. 89. And then um, uh, for Talking Circles and Talking Circles on Twitter and uh, Talking with an N, not with no, no G there, Talking in Circles. And um, you can follow us there and you can follow us on all um, uh, <clears throat> uh, blog talk radio and all the other places where you can go and find podcasts. So um, thanks, man. Uh, Thank you have you a good evening. And uh, we'll definitely have you back on here as the off season comes along. Sounds good. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good night. All right. You too. Uh, thanks to uh, Clayton Caldwell for coming on here uh, tonight on um, the GSP. Uh, Josh, uh, we have to throw to um, an interesting uh, it, the race may have not been uh, at once all the craziness went on here. Uh, Formula One we will move the IndyCar um, recap uh, season recap to next week. I think it'll be a little bit less dramatic um, here when they run the Bahrain Roval. But the uh, the the. Grand Prix, the, the the race this past Sunday was definitely dramatic for many reasons, and not a lot of them were great. Um, Roman Grosjean uh, was um, almost, uh, could have passed away, theoretically, depending on the safety and, and other things that went on when he went through a guardrail on lap one of the um, uh, Bahrain Grand Prix. Uh, there, there was a whole lot of craziness that went on early in the race there. Um, and uh, I guess the initial thoughts were when you saw his car go up in a fireball and the fact that he got out of the, the, the car somehow, some way, um, it's it's a great thing what Formula One has done with the Halo and uh, the safety innovations that they have in place that um, Roman Grosjean is here for his wife and for his kids. Yeah, it was a very scary accident to see um, even even live and on replay. Like he, uh, you know, we we know he has the penchant for being able to crash, but uh, being able to crash like that is never a good thing and um there was a very uh terrible way to go out of a race like his car split in half and one part of the car is um in inside the guardrail and it pierced through that and it's on fire and then he's got to be able to get out of that which um is it was a miraculous thing to see him be able to get out of that i mean a lot of safety innovation from Formula One with uh, their car, with the halo, uh, the tracks, um, preparing it the way that they do, um, and you know, all the engineering that goes into that uh, certainly all played a factor in him being able to get out. And you know, just the um, for him surviving, you know, all the right circumstances, uh, even even in that crash, uh, allowed him to get out. And you know, he's able to get out on his own power, which is good, despite hand injuries and uh, possibly bruised or broken ribs. Um, that was uh, good for him to get out of that without um, any issues um, on the initial part before you know staying on the in the hospital overnight. But uh, it was very uh, 
you know a lot a lot of stuff that goes into that but this this thing um this year like we've seen a lot of incidents uh this year that were really bad you know the first race of the year in uh daytona is uh, uh ryan newman almost you know getting killed in the daytona 500 and then now we basically end the year with Roman grosjean almost losing his life in a terrible accident um you know there's a lot of things that they could improve on and ensure with uh this race course like is it you know viable to still have uh armco guardrails like that that could you know potentially split a car in half like that like we saw or should they go back to reconstructing the walls so that they have uh uh you know safer barriers or something like that on on the walls i mean some formula one tracks have that now where you know they have the safer barriers uh in the track and then you know it's not just a oval track thing now or american thing now there's you know other racetracks around the circuit and formula one that have uh some safer barriers so you wonder if that they're going to do something like that in the future but um you know then we see uh lance stroll um hit the curbs and then make contact with another car and then tip over that wasn't quite as bad although you know if he didn't have the halo it might have been a little bit worse for him uh and then after that it was basically kind of the same formula one race as normal and then lewis hamilton goes out and dominates uh the race there and and ends up winning and he had a little bit of a challenge from uh max verstappen there uh throughout the race he was able to kind of push the issue a little bit but you know he didn't really have a chance to get up there and try to go for the lead or anything like that but definitely a little bit better showing from first stop and then in previous weeks um and then at the same time uh lewis hamilton continuing to dominate and it's a good thing he secured the title a couple of weeks ago um given the news today with him and covid so uh, for him that i guess that was good and then we see uh Valtteri Bottas didn't really have a great race uh, as expected. Uh, it should have probably had a little bit better race for him. But I think overall, everybody in the Formula One paddock was just glad to see uh, Grosjean just be able to get out of the car and um, not have any serious injuries and be able to survive that accident. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of shock. And even though... Uh, you know, Sky and F1, they kept on showing the replay as though they were NASCAR, you know, for dramatic effect or for whatever reason they were showing it over and over again. Um, to see something like that is definitely not um, as jarring, to say the least, but glad that Robert Grosjean is here. Uh, glad Roman Grosjean's able to talk to us here when you look at a wreck like that. Um, you think of the likes of Francois Sever, a fellow Frenchman who uh, got killed at Watkins Glen in what would, for based on reporting and whatever, was a similar type of incident um, going through a guardrail. Um, but there was no halo, of course. There was no, all these safety innovations, the fireproof, um, the the new uh, uh, fireproof, the uniform itself, the uh, driver's suit had to pass different regulations this year, uh, starting in 2020, to be able to hold up for 20 seconds versus 10. 
um, which is or, or something like that. Somewhere on where the gloves were on the old regulations, which is why he suffered the burns that he did on his hands relative to the rest of his body not being in as bad a shape. Um, Roman Grosjean, of course, uh, won't be in Formula One in 2021. Um, he's trying to come back at Abu Dhabi. Uh, Pietro Fittipaldi will be filling in for him. Uh, the uh, son of Christian Fittipaldi, uh, fellow former track champion in the limited late model division at, at Hickory Motor Speedway, will be making his formula and dating Chad Little's daughter is going to be making his Formula One debut and Roman Grosjean's trying to come back, you know, in a couple of weeks time to run uh, at Abu Dhabi. Um, Whatever happens, I hope Roman Grosjean will be all right for his kids, for his wife, as much as anything. Motorsport itself, uh, it's rumored that he's looking to come to IndyCar. He's one of, I think, a cast of thousands that's trying to get that second ride at uh, Foyt. Of course, it makes sense. Roman Grosjean is friends with Sebastian Bourdais, so maybe they're trying to do the French connection with the good old boy from Texas. But uh, I'm not so sure if he really wants to go over to IndyCar after what he just went through, but we will see. Um, The point you brought up, you know, Lewis, once everything kind of went back to normal. Lance Stroll got hit by um, Danny Kvyat, um, but also, you know, it's Lance Stroll. It wasn't his, it wasn't the greatest weekend for him after he qualified on pole, led the most laps at Turkey. He was just kind of Lance Stroll. And with the announcement of uh, Nikita Mazepan coming onto the Formula One grid, that'll mean three daddies money, um, douchebags will be on the grid. Um, likely none of them that really deserve to be out there. They'll say, oh, well, they ran well in this series or they ran well in that series. And Lance Stroll's a tool. Um, Nicholas Atifi, I don't know what the hell he is or why he's around. Nikita Mazepan has, has assaulted people um, and he's a sexual deviant. And um, he's a cocksucker, just like his stupid father, who probably sucks, um, you know, Vladimir Putin's cock. So fuck all of them. Uh, you know, the the thing about uh, Lewis Hamilton, of course, you know, it's a good thing he won uh, the race. And it, it's a shame that he might not be able to run the rest of the year. It's been one of his better years in his illustrious career uh breaking all these records of michael schumacher i was you know he's only 12 lap leading what 12 13 laps more away from uh, passing michael schumacher for most laps led in the history of formula one uh that's basically all he's got that he has to do um hopefully he'll be able to come back for abu dhabi next week but if not, it looks like George Russell, uh, you know, God willing, all of Formula One, all the people on the uh, Grid Talk podcast, uh, people that are on there, including myself, want to see George Russell get that opportunity uh, to to perform. Uh, I don't know what will happen. Hopefully, Total Wolf is able to make that happen and get him in uh 
the um, the 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 Mercedes kind of as a preview. That would also allow Williams to try out Jack Aiken, who's another talent that you know we don't know what's going to happen with him, but you know he get he might get a two week tryout. It might be an opportunity. You can't dismiss what Lewis had to do making multiple starts and kind of going and managing a gap on Max Verstappen, who also is a piece of shit um, and a ball licker. But because Red Bull sold their soul to him and his stupid father, uh, they're a one-car team. Uh, even with with uh, Alex Albon getting that podium, which was only because of you know Sergio Perez blowing up because Racing Point doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Um, I, I feel bad for Sergio Perez that he's not going to have a job next year. I think it's criminal. A guy of his talent and his ability over the years is going to be sitting on the sidelines and you're going to have three daddy's money losers. And they'll say, well, there's money always in the sport. And that's fine. But Sergio Perez has always been able to prove himself and do what he has to do in lesser equipment for the most part go and put him in a red bull and and let's see what's going on i mean i think the only reason they don't want to hire him is because he'd go and call call them out and tell everybody whatever what what is really going on which is red bull only makes one good car and it's for max or stopping because uh helmet marco and uh christian horner uh, are are taint liquors, and and that's that's really that's really part of the, part and parcel why um, why they have what they have going on. So it, it, it's a shame uh, that uh, the sport is the way it is, but it's racing, I guess. And uh, I, I'm having uh, technical difficulties over here, but. In terms of other standout performances, I mean, yeah, Albon gets that podium, which might have saved his job. Um, but, you know, you have to look at the the McLaren team, uh, Josh, and how they were able uh, to get a double a points finish in the top five and put themselves, you know, squarely in position to... to uh, get third in the constructors championship as they move to Mercedes uh, power units and Daniel Ricardo coming in, in 2021 uh, takeaways on the midfield battle before we kind of preview uh, this weekend's secure Grand Prix. Yeah, this was uh, definitely the, the Lando Norris being able to get, Fourth place. Um, we talked about it, kind of previewing this uh, Grand Prix last week. The McLaren could be a team that wins the midfield battle in this race, and certainly that ended up being the case. And they got two cars in the uh, top five, fourth and fifth, with Lando and Carlos Sainz Jr. And that, that was good for them to um, kind of put their stance on the uh, midfield battle and secure their position in the constructors championship so that's something that um positive for them i mean also pierre gasly uh finishing sixth uh in the alfatory um that that's another good uh midfield car that had a, a great finish and even renault with uh 
uh, Daniel Ricardo and Espen Ocon, um, they were kind of swapping positions uh, throughout the end of that race. And then um, Ricardo kind of made up a couple of spots and ended up finishing in seventh. And um, he was kind of battling uh, Gasly there at the end, I think. And, and he made a couple of passes and he passed Ocon there. So I think those guys definitely had a, a good uh, finish. And uh, I think, you know, Renault, not quite as solid as maybe what uh, they need to get a better finish in the Constructors' Championship, but certainly they've continued their run of uh, points finishes uh, this season that they've kind of been on since the end of the summer, so another good result for them. But I think, you know, going into the last couple of races here, I think McLaren just needs to continue to uh, finish in the top half of the points, uh, you know, fifth or better to try to secure their spot on third place in the Constructors' Championship, which would be a major comeback from where they were in 2017 and 2018 with the end of Alonso's uh, career in Formula 1 up until next year where they were really bad and uh, at the end of the the field they didn't have pace. The Honda engine was terrible. It was really slow, and now they're working their way back up and they're positioning themselves to maybe be a second or third fiddle to uh, the Mercedes team. So very exciting future for McLaren, I think. Yeah. The, I think the midfield battle in general is we, we haven't heard the last of it, not only for this year with two races to go, but going into 2021 because you kind of figure Mercedes is going to be where they are. Lewis is coming back um, as much as everybody people don't want that. He's coming back. Um, he's going to try to get eight. Uh, I think he's going to have at least two more years in this sport uh, at a minimum. Um, I, I, it wouldn't shock me that he goes to 40, but I don't think he will. Um, I think he's got at least two years, maybe three um, left based on what he sees and what he's got going on. He's not going to go to Ferrari. He's basically said he's not going to go to Ferrari. So that's, but that's mainly because they don't have an opening and also they're not that good. Um, I, I think the um, notion of where the sport is, the real drama will be to see if Red Bull can get out of their own way, which they obviously can't. Um, Max Verstappen's a moron as a person. Um, if he couldn't drive a race car, he's just like Kyle Busch. If he couldn't drive a race car, he wouldn't be able to work, or Kyle Larson for that matter, they wouldn't be able to work the local county fair um, because they're just complete morons um, and they're useless at life. But um, Red Bull now, they need to figure out, you know, an, an engine uh, situation. They're probably going to go back to Renault. Uh, I don't know if to that means Toro Rosso also goes back to Renault. But uh, that'll be determined to be determined. Of course, they're not going to Ferrari because Ferrari's engines are crap right now because they're doing illegal crap to be where they were last couple of years. But after that, you don't know who the second driver is. Most likely it's Albon because they don't want to be proved wrong with their stupid driver development program. 
or, or to have somebody like Sergio Perez or Nico Hulkenberg come in and say, oh, yeah, these cars are crap. Uh, they only make one good car, uh, which is basically what happened with Mark Webber and why he got let go um, when he was still in his prime. And he proved that by winning World Endurance Championship for Porsche. Um, but, you know, you look at McLaren with Mercedes again. Next year, you have the Aston Martin uh, racing point for Cyndia. You know, they've had plenty of names and owners over the years. What was the Jordan team? Originally, the Jordan team uh, way back when in 1991. They're, they're going to be interesting with uh, Vettel and Stroll. Uh, if they're going to be in the same spot as they were with Sergio Perez, I doubt it. I don't think Vettel cares as much anymore. I don't think Vettel is the same guy as he was when he won four consecutive world championships. So to me, it's more about box office and less about actual performance because, you know, Lance isn't going to be able to perform either. Um, Excuse me. You're going to have Alpine, Renault Alpine with uh, Fred Alonso coming back. And Esteban Ocon, Ocon's kind of taken a step backwards uh, with Pierre Gasly being out there as somebody who's probably going to be a free agent. Um, You figure Reto, if they're going to stay in the sport, they're going to want to have a big guy. And I think that's the guy they're probably going to go after. So Ocon has to perform. Alonso has a two-year deal. Um, after that, he's probably going to quit, and then he'll go do Rally Raid and IndyCar or whatever the hell he wants to do because he's Fernando Alonso. Um, and then you look at that, and then Ferrari, of course, which um, Charles Leclerc, Charles Leclerc, and um, Carlos Sainz will be there next year. Will they take a step forward? Will they be where they are right now? It's all to be determined. Um, you never know with them. They they have races like uh, Turkey where they're up front because of conditions, and then you have what they had last week at Bahrain where it's been a Ferrari racetrack for a very long time, and then last week they were a non-factor. Um, we will see what happens with that. And, of course, Alfa Tori. Uh, they're probably going to have Yuki Sonoda driving uh, for them next year along with Danny Kvyat. So we'll see what he can do as a rookie um, along with the two rookies they're going to have at Haas with Mazapan and um, Mick Schumacher. Um, Alfa Romeo kept their driver lineup for whatever reason. Probably should have let Giovinazzi go but and put Cal Mylot in the car, but that's beside the point. Of course, Russell and uh, Latifi will be at Williams uh, next year, but I think Williams will be making at least one driver change going into 2022. That's something we'll get into more uh, as we go along here in the offseason. Um, with Lewis Hamilton missing and uh, the likelihood – it's either going to be George Russell or Stoffel Van Dorn. So you probably have to put the one Mercedes out of play. Um, 
who do you look for, Josh, as a, as a winner podium finishers here coming to this weekend, Sakir Grand Prix, which is going to be on the Roval at uh, the Bahrain International Circuit? Well, I think this is an opportunity for somebody like Max Verstappen to win a race. They they basically finished second here. Well, they finished second at Bahrain this past Sunday, and certainly it's you know similar. Well, not a similar track, but you know they're on the same circuit essentially. And I think he can definitely bring a challenge to the field and and take that first place spot only because Lewis isn't going to be at the track this weekend. So I think Verstappen definitely has the best chance to try and win a Grand Prix. Um, Valtteri Bottas, uh, he could potentially be a you know contender for the win too, but he hasn't really been as strong as in recent weeks. Um, so I think maybe it'll be Verstappen's race to, to lose this Sunday. We'll see what happens, but um, you know, other guys, maybe somebody like Lando Norris gets a podium finish or Carlos Sainz, they get a podium, something like that. Or, um, you know, even even like uh, Daniel Ricciardo could get a podium this weekend. It, it kind of opens up the field now, the fact that Lewis Hamilton isn't racing now because of uh, illness and um, kind of brings a wild card factor into who can win uh, the race because he's basically won all the races this year and it's only been other two winners this year have been Verstappen and, and uh, Botas. So we'll see what happens. Um, I think it'll be, you know, a battle between the, the one Red Bull that's been really good and, and maybe, um, you know, the, the midfielders potentially Botas there. So it's probably going to be the most interesting Grand Prix th- this year just because uh, Lewis Hamilton isn't there. And, you know, it, I think it's just just shows how dominant Hamilton really is. Yeah, it definitely does. I think uh, this weekend's race on the Roval at Bahrain with a lot of the moving parts, it, it has all the makings of what the Italian Grand Prix ended up being which for all intents and purposes was probably the most interesting race of the whole entire calendar all the craziness that happened with with the wrecks and you know with with the you know retirements and lewis going and pitting under a a a closed pit you know all all the different nonsense that went on uh the italian grand prix people are going to say it was the most, it was the best Grand Prix of the year. Um, this is what this race is going to be. Now, of course, if Max are stopping and Botas are both functional, it's not going to be as interesting as it might, as, as the Italian Grand Prix was, but that's all to be determined. I, I do believe status quo will hold up. One of those two likely Max are stopping goes and wins to try to go and cut into that gap for second in the world championship or with Botas while the midfield battle will, um, you know, rage. And I have no idea. I think Renault is probably in a better spot than say McLaren or even racing point, but then stroll got a podium at, uh, at Monza. So, we will see. Um, you can, uh, before we go, I guess uh, we'll talk a little uh, football. Uh, Josh, uh, you got me 
uh, this week, probably got a buy in the Fall Brawl League. Um, if my uh, web browser hadn't crashed, um, I'd go and I can go and bring it up. Uh, it, of course, the week is still um, is still going on because the Pittsburgh Baltimore game hasn't happened yet. That's supposedly going to happen tomorrow afternoon, but gap is too big. Likely you're going to have a buy with Joe. Uh, going into the playoffs and get a couple of bucks because of that. Um, thoughts on where your your fantasy team is at, and then also thoughts on uh, your Jaguars, since that was a great hit you had last week on Shad Khan, since they just got rid of Dave, uh, they got rid of Caldwell, uh, the G, the longtime GM and there. Yeah, so this week, you know, I was going to be really close on this uh, fantasy projection. Like, you know, it was a tight matchup between us. And then uh, I guess I come out and get a big lead. And, you know, you you guys had some, I guess your quarterbacks had had some issues. And Ezekiel Elliott didn't perform on Thanksgiving um, because they were basically dead in the water in that game the Cowboys were. And I had a really great game from... Derek Henry, Allen Robinson, DK Metcalf, uh, Justin Herbert all had great performances and helped me uh, come over the top and uh, put you uh, in the in the L column this week. So uh, it was really good. And I wasn't expecting, um, I guess, Joe, who is, that's who that is, the other CDs, TDs. I wasn't expecting him to uh, not win this week. And Pit Lane Parley, I guess, uh, decided to play, and they ended up getting a really good game. Uh, you know, they haven't really tried that much this season. Um, so that's good. Now uh, it looks like I'll be in first going into this week, and all I got to do is just take care of business uh, on Sunday with uh, my players and should be able to get that first place uh, seeding for the playoffs. And I guess I didn't know. I guess uh, we, we do have a bye for first place, so that that's a uh, – that's a good thing and don't have to worry about fantasy for a week and then we'll come back and try to win the whole thing. And, you know, I've never in my time playing fantasy and, you know, my, my own leagues and all that stuff. Like I've, I've always figured out a way like to, you know, get the first place seating or, you know, be one of the top teams, but haven't quite out made it out for the championship. And, and hopefully this changes this year and I can actually win the whole thing and um, be exciting to be able to do that. So hopefully that happens. And then, for you know, real football with uh, the Jaguars, like uh, you know, the the whole thing with them is you know they got as long as they keep losing but they play competitively, uh, that's what needs to happen. You know, close losses like what they've had on Sunday and in previous weeks with uh, how they played, I think that's what they have to do. But then, of course, uh, Dave Caldwell finally gets fired, um, which probably should have happened at the end of 2016 when they had a three and 13 finish and they had a lot of good pieces, but it was pretty clear. Uh, Gus Bradley, uh, shouldn't have been the coach and Blake Bortles shouldn't have been the quarterback. And they had a chance to fire everybody then and clean house and reload and get somebody like Patrick Mahomes and, or Deshaun Watson in the, uh, 2017 draft. They kept everybody and fired Gus and blamed it on him. So, and then in 2018, uh, they had a chance to clean house again after they uh, failed to repeat their AFC championship performance and the bottom fell out again. Uh, they could have cleared house, but then they didn't. And then last year they decided to blame the whole thing on Tom Coughlin, uh, which is 
been a theme for the Jaguars. They they'll fire one guy and blame it on him, and then next year when something goes wrong, they'll fire the the next guy and blame it on, all on that guy. So it's a continuing thing for, for the Jaguars, and that's kind of the the identity and culture of this team is they keep uh, shifting the blame onto somebody else. And I think this time they finally got the guy who's uh, never you know he's had. Um, solid picks and in, in some rounds and been able to scout some undrafted free agents uh successfully but hasn't been able to uh complete it, uh build a complete team and uh you know find a good head coach and i think at the end of the year now that they've made the move on caldwell you know they're they're not going to fire uh doug marone because if they fire him and they hire or not hire but they promote somebody like uh jay gruden to head coach for the rest of the year it could provide a spark and then they win a game on accident here or there and they're don't want to hurt their draft position so they're going to keep them until the end of the year and then they'll clean house um which is what they need to do i mean i didn't think it would happen but it happened so uh now the next step is to you know clean everybody out and uh everybody else out and then um, make the right moves uh, to get a guy that can actually build a team. And that's going to be the key step as far as the football franchise goes. Um, they'll they'll have to uh, find somebody that has experience and knows how to put to, put a team together and, and can go out and um, figure out how to make use of all the draft picks that they have next year. They have $100 million in uh, cap space, so they'll be able to reload quickly with free agents and supplement the inexperience that they currently have on the roster and future inexperience with all those draft picks. But hopefully the uh, they continue to lose and secure that draft pick, as bad as that sounds or as weird as that sounds, and maybe somehow the New York Jets win a game on accident and then they'll tie for uh, the draft, uh, worst pick in the draft, and then they'll go to the Jaguars because they have the harder uh, or the weaker strength, or no, yes, yeah, the harder strength of the schedule goes first in the draft. So uh, that's how that will go for them. Hopefully hopefully that happens, and then we can pick Trevor Lawrence. And if not, there's a lot of other good quarterbacks who could potentially be the franchise quarterback for the Jaguars, but hopefully it's Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and Justin Fields is there, and the Niners are in play for a quarterback as well, but the only good thing that's going to come out of this year after they went and knocked off the Rams is that they're going to get a last place schedule um, coming into 2021. So they might be able to go and uh, reenact what they did last year, uh, possibly go all the way. Um, that's my hope because they're not going to do anything this year as much as Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch want that to happen. Uh, they're a flawed team, but when they have a lot of their good pieces healthy, uh, they're a functional football team to the point where they are, they're respectable, which is all you can really um, say and uh, ask for and that's um, that's really uh, all I'm going to say about that because you know giving Seattle an opportunity to go and uh, get a number one seed or possibly get a number one seed is uh, is is not uh, what I want to see but hey uh, it is what it is um, 
Yeah, we're working on, we'll see what happens in fantasy. I'll make the playoffs already am locked in. Where I'm going to be playing or where I'm going to be starting in the playoffs is to be determined. Um, I'm hoping for a three seed, even though it doesn't mean much. Uh, it's reseeding anyway, so after the first round. So um, likely going to play Manny. Uh, because uh, Pit Lane Parley, uh, uh, Mike, uh, there's stuff going on there, but uh, he's the only one that could really stand in the way of, of Manny. Uh, stairway to seven. We'll see if he can go, and he's probably going to take a dive. or He's not going to take a dive. He's going to lose to me because I'm not going to lose two games in a row again. Um, but we'll see what happens the following week when... It really counts. I'll have to win three games to go and win this championship. I haven't won in a few years. Um, as much as Josh is my friend, uh, giving my money to Josh, I don't really want to do that. Uh, he has a better job than I do. Um, so that's part of it. But then also, I just don't want to lose to any of these guys. Um, the league is very competitive this year, uh, which is a positive relative to what it's been in other years. Clayton's also playing in the league. Amazing Fanatic 31, but uh, not a great year for him this year. Um, but, hey, he, is, he has an owner of his baseball team that will actually be competitive. They have a coach with the Giants, so things are looking up for him. Um, before we go, Josh, uh, where can we go and follow you? Yeah, you know, you can always follow me on Twitter, uh, JP Huffine, and then uh, Twitch TV dot or slash UCLR2, and can go on there. Uh, I'll try to be a little bit more diligent about announcing uh, when I have Twitch streams. On uh, I'll try to tweet that out, and then we'll go live on Twitch for the iRacing stuff. Um, you know, last week we were doing Indianapolis Motor Speedway with the Indy cars, and that was a little bit was a lot of fun trying to um, maneuver through that and you know get the fuel strategy right. And then this week we're doing some uh, NASCAR 1987 at Talladega, which is always fun. And you know, you're sliding around 200 miles an hour plus, uh, flat-footed around the whole way, and uh, try to slide around. So uh, we'll try to tweet those out when we go live, and then possibly try to put a replay on YouTube or something so you uh, can see it if you missed it. And, uh, you know, we'll try to get that going along and grow that. So a um, lot, of, lot of interesting stuff that could be happening. Yeah, we have to, and I owe it to Josh to go and watch the stream because I wish, I, I wish I had the bandwidth and the computer power and all that stuff to go and race because then we could have stories and bs and bench race about you know all the different types of racing whether it's uh, i racing or um you know all the other sim racing deals that are going on uh that's really why i probably want a new computer just so i can start sim racing again because it was fun i mean heck i racing was previewing the fact that coca-cola speedway yes. is going to be a part of <laughs> uh i racing so um you know get the juices flowing it's something i love those 87 cars and that and then some of these racetracks going north wilkesboro i loved going to north wilkesboro on 
uh, NASCAR Racing and NASCAR Racing 2 and NRO3. Um, well, not NRO3, uh, but the first two NASCAR games. Uh, so that's something hopefully, um, God willing, we'll be able to do. And since we're going to have a lot of time to do stuff inside here in the next few months, it'll be something that uh, if with the, you know, money and things go a certain way, possibly can go and do that. Talk about that on GSP, maybe have some uh, uh, sim racing guests on for sure. Uh, you can find me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, uh, Philip G. Matthew, Facebook.com slash Philip G. Matthew. Uh, you could find the show at philipgmatthew.com. Um, the Gripstrip podcast, we're at Gripstrip Pod on Twitter. And uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Amazon Music, and on most places where you can go and find podcasts, we're on Podbean, uh, of course. Uh, which is uh, our host um, site. And then um, we're on ma- many other places where you can go and find at Gripstrip Pod, um, Gripstrip Podcast. You can Google us and uh, find us there. Uh, we thank you for listening uh, this week. We'll uh, get into uh, Formula One with the finale uh, coming next week at Abu Dhabi, whether Lewis Hamilton, we won't know if Lewis Hamilton will be um, ready to race um, uh, by the time you do the show next week. But hey, we can talk about it. We'll talk uh, Formula One. We'll talk Indy cars. Um, things went down in terms of silly season, but also um, the season recap. We'll spend more time on that. And uh Whatever else comes along, we'll talk football as well here on the Grip Strip Podcast. We thank you for listening. Um, stay safe, social distance, uh, wear a mask, um, take care of one another. God bless. Good night. <laughs>